if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And our number two is now underway at eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 26th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Appreciate you being with us. We're going to turn our attention away from the Republican National Convention, just as we did yesterday, to focus now at the top of our number two on Ohio state politics. And, uh, yeah, the impeachment of Governor Mike DeWine. No, he hasn't been impeached, but articles of impeachment have been introduced by a couple of, uh, uh, actually four, I think, co-sponsors in the Ohio House of Representatives. We spoke, spoke to two of them yesterday, John Becker and Nino Vitale, and joining us now to analyze that as well as the ongoing uh, response to the uh, pandemic, the global pandemic from Governor Mike DeWine is our friend, the intrepid reporter from WMFD Television in uh, Mansfield and from the Ohio Star, Jack Windsor. Jack, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Bob France, I'm super fantastic. Thank you for choosing me, and I'm excited to talk with you in the 1420 audience. Always a pleasure to talk with you. So, Jack, before we get into the... Uh you did a great job yesterday, and we get into the numbers behind coronavirus and also the partners in health question that you asked the governor yesterday. Let me just get your reaction to what we learned on uh, Monday, that uh, bright and early, we had it on this show when it happened, uh, that Governor DeWine is facing impeachment not from members of an angry opposition party, but from members of his own party in the Ohio House. Your thoughts? Well, it's certainly uh, uncommon for a Republican governor to be pursued that way, and when I say that way, um, for someone to release articles of impeachment when there is a majority in the state house and in the Senate. Now, obviously, the articles uh, started in the state house when John Becker, Nino Vitale, Candace Keller, and Paul Zeltlanger uh, signed on and said, "Look, here are ten reasons why we think that we need to have a hearing in the state house and get this thing up to the Senate for an impeachment trial." You know. I don't ever want to be in a position where we are so whimsical and we go with this mob mentality regarding our elected officials. So I don't take impeachment lightly. When I read through the articles, I've read through some of them, uh, there are valid points, particularly to me, there is mention of the economic impact, uh, business policies that have caused tremendous fallout. Now, there are courts around the state of Ohio who have already said, judges have already said, 
these are arbitrary orders, these are arbitrary mandates, and they are unconstitutional. So that part seems to have teeth to me. Some people viewed this as grandstanding uh, on the part of these four. Now, I think Candace Keller has since removed her name. Uh, I need to double-check with Representative Keller to find out if that is indeed true. Uh, However, my understanding, you talked with John Becker, is that their goal was to put this out there because the voice of the people has reached them. And their idea is, look, if you want this to happen, contact your representative, write your representative, and if we have enough support, we'll go, we'll go forward with it. Do I think it's a good idea? Well, look, if it does nothing other than shine sunshine on areas that we've been in the dark about since March, I think that it makes sense. Even if you don't support removal of office, why not utilize the process to bring some clarity in areas where there's been confusion and um, information withheld? That's a very fair point. Um, I, I I read the articles as you did, or I perused them. I didn't read them and memorize them, but I read them enough to understand most of them. And one of the other ones um, that I thought was extraordinarily important was, you know, the fact that they canceled the election uh, or postponed yeah. the election, the the primaries. You point out, and and you talked about the you know the damage that was done, uh, and the fact that they cut the legislature out of the loop. Um, and that's the biggest problem because I talked to many legislators, including Nino Vitale, one of the co-sponsors, during the you know the you know May and and April and May, and as this thing went on, saying, "Hey, you know, what are you guys going to do? Because this is killing Ohio businesses. We saw the jobs being hemorrhaged by the thousands." And um, they said, we can't do anything. He won't listen to us. He won't talk to us. He won't give us a say. We tried to put a bill, uh, you know, pass these these bills. We talked about SB 55 and all these other things to try to say, hey, can you uh, uh, make sure that uh, any orders that your health director wants to give from the, this point forward is limited to 14 days, then it has to go through JCAR so that we have a say too. Remember, the Ohio people picked us to represent them. Let us represent them. And the fact that the governor just slammed the door in their faces on all of those things, I can, I'm with you, Jack. I don't take impeachment lightly. I think it's something that should be used only in the most extraordinary of circumstances. I hate it when the left did it to Trump. I hate it when they're threatening to do it to Bill Barr. I, I really do. But um, in this case, I, I feel like the governor is really kind of a, you know, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic and say he's a tyrant here, but he really, really is in a power control type mode where he wants all the power to make the decisions and doesn't want to listen to anybody in what is supposed to be another co-equal branch of the government, our our legislature. You know, he uses the phrase, they have my cell phone number. They know how to reach out to me. Yeah. Look, here's some reality. There was a caucus meeting back, I want to say in April, and Several representatives, and I say several, there were, there were three maybe that I know, um, spoke out vehemently, or not even vehemently. They said, look, these numbers aren't making sense. We need to understand. He, he was not welcoming. He was screaming and cussing. I got that from probably four representatives who said, no, he was not willing to listen. He was basically saying to us, how dare you question the experts? How, how dare you and the people that you're listening to? question my team of experts. So, uh, you know, I have a problem with that, to to posture in front of the population as if you're listening to legislators when you're really not. But here's the other piece. I don't know. I've heard some representatives come out and say, look, this is grandstanding. This is about disagreement in policy. Let's talk about that. 50% of Ohio restaurants may close permanently. The CDC said 25% of 18-year-olds considered suicide seriously in the last 30 days. Two-thirds of high school athletes 
surveyed in Wisconsin are exhibiting clinical levels of anxiety and depression. The state of Ohio cut $750 million from their budget, borrowed $3.2 billion from the government because our unemployment fund went broke due to policy. And I had the opportunity to interview a doctor in Cuyahoga County, Lorraine County, that has practices there that says 75% of adult patients treated exhibit anxiety and depression. This is no longer about fussing over policy. This is about real impact to people's lives. And it's really unnerving to me that there are some legislators who are standing up and going, wait a minute, wait a minute. DeWine's a good man. He's doing the best that he can. Great. You know what? Coaches are good people, too. And if they don't make halftime adjustments and win games, they get fired. And we're not just talking about a football game here. We're talking about people's lives. That is exactly correct, Jack Windsor, and that's why we brought you on. Great, great points all the way around. Jack, let me pivot uh, to yesterday's question, because this is extraordinarily important. Not enough Ohioans, I believe, understand who and what Partners in Health is. And this was your question for those who missed it yesterday to the governor. All right, why aren't we hearing you? Oh, there we go. Abbott, over a 295 Going to back that up a little bit. Sorry. Next question is from Jack Windsor at WMFD in Mansfield. Hi, Governor. Um, uh, five Texas Republicans, as you may know, uh, sued Texas Republican Governor Abbott over a $295 million contact tracing deal signed during the early months of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, legislators there say the governor skirted separation of powers, agreeing to a contract without following state statutes. Uh, as you know, I've been uh, waiting for months now for information on our contract with the company assisting us with contact tracing, uh, Partners in Health. I have to assume that is a multi-million dollar contract, and our audience is interested in understanding the length and value of that deal. So, Governor, how much have we paid Partners in Health? How much are we obligated to pay them, and how long is the contract? Uh, I don't know the answer, Jack, but we certainly can get that answer. Um, I don't I'm going to stop it there, Jack Windsor, because <laughs> I think we heard all we know. I need to hear, rather. Uh, I don't know. We can get it for you, though. And as you said to him in your question, I've been waiting for months. You didn't know then, and you haven't known for several months now. What makes you think you're going to get an answer tomorrow, Jack? You know, I'm not certain that I will, but I'll keep pressing. It's interesting because he's personal friends with Paul Farmer. He talked about that back on May 21st when I asked the question about Partners in Health. And I linked them to the Marxism and um, liberation theology that is the foundation of their organizational culture. He talked about being friends with Paul Farmer, visiting Haiti over 20 times, and being connected with some of their biggest donors, which, by the way, happened to be Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, the Clinton Foundation previously, uh, Open uh, Societies Foundation. And Chelsea Clinton is uh, a trustee of the organization. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong or good or bad. I'm just saying when you're a conservative Republican and you align with a Marxist organization that looks as capitalism as a structurally evil uh, thing that is responsible for uh, all the, almost all social ills, right? Sexism, racism, homophobia, uh, unfair treatment of people, greed, all of these things, and, and their goal is to socially change that structure. Oh, by the way, we happen to do contact tracing. So, one, he knows Paul Farmer. Two, he knows the organization. And the fact that he says, well, you know, I, I don't have that answer. I don't believe it. You, you may have the answer. You may not just want to share the answer. Uh, my understanding is there's a memor uh, memorandum of uh, understanding 
or authorization or MOA, I guess is what it's called, between the two organizations. I do have my hands on that. That generally precedes a contract. So I'm hopeful that on Thursday we'll get the contract and find out, is there an exchange of money between the state of Ohio and this organization, which would raise serious questions. And even if there's not, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, right, Bob? So what are we giving them in exchange for what they're giving us? That is a very, very good question, and that's why I want people to to hear the question that you ask, and I want I want to hear what Mike DeWine says, and I hope you get a chance tomorrow. Hopefully you're not number 19 and you get skipped out or left out of the thing, so you can say, hey, remember on Tuesday when you said you'd get that answer for me? What is it? And, and, and get to the bottom of this. Jack, I want to ask you about part three in your series, but I've got a hard break here. Can I get a quick time out and get you back? Absolutely. Part three of uh, of uh, Jack Windsor's series for the Ohio Star involving the uh, uh, governor's coloring book, as I like to call it. They call it something else uh, regarding their uh, health public health advisory system. But uh, Jack Windsor has been doing great work exposing and explaining what this thing is all about and the arbitrary nature of the gu- of the numbers they use. And I'll let him tell you about part three right after this. Ten twenty four. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Our friend Jack Windsor continues with us for one more segment. About six minutes to talk about part three in Jack's eight part series that is running on the Ohio Star website, theohiostar.com. dot com. Jack is the managing editor for that news publication. Governor Dewine still not disclosing all details and partners in health. That's part one, and we just discussed, and now part two is about the Ohio Public Health Advisory System, otherwise known as Governor DeWine's coloring book. He just picks up whatever color he feels like and puts it in. Jack, um, Lorraine County, the county in which I live, just went back to red again, honest to goodness, because uh, I still can't figure out why. We haven't had an explosion in cases. We haven't had an explosion in in hospitalizations. But Lorraine County just went red again a couple of days ago, and everybody is wondering what that is going to mean. Um, You've been taking us through this step by step. Tell us about Part 3. What are we exposing now? So Part 3 deals with uh, the second indicator, which is uh, sustained increases in new cases. And according to the alert indicator details found on the Ohio coronavirus website, if the number of daily new cases continuously increases day over day, then that means that the virus is spreading more in the county, and that will flip the switch. So that will count as one indicator triggered. And as you know, it doesn't take very many uh, indicators to get up into red. And when you're in red, the Ohio Department of Education has already said, we don't want to do in-person learning there. Uh, the Liquor Control Board has relied on uh, this map to say serving alcohol past 10 o'clock is bad because this virus is spreading and so on and so forth. But how easy is it to flip this indicator? Let me give you a real quick example. Okay. This has no volume control. That means if I go from an average of one case to 1.2 cases per day uh, over the course of a week, then this gets triggered. And this is how silly this can be for small counties. Um, let's see, I believe it was Hardin County between July 1 and July 15. The average number of cases in Hardin County blipped from one per day to two per day. And that slight increase triggered the sustained increase in new cases indicator. Now, someone can go, well, wait a minute. If it went from one case to two cases a day, that may not be a forest fire yet, right? But it might be a spark that is, is lighting the spread of this, of this virus. 
But the thing that we have to remember now, probable cases are counted. And a probable case is not a lab-confirmed case. A probable case can be you tested lab positive and you gave my name to contact tracers and you said that we were within six feet for greater than 15 minutes. And now all of a sudden I'm counted as a probable case. Okay. We and that, know- that, by the way, is the most infuriating thing that I have heard of all of this so far. They are because they're counting cases as being reasons for going into the higher, you know, danger zones, if you will. But they have no confirmation. And, and Jack, correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't they also just counting all family members that you live with in a home as a probable case? If one person is tested positive, confirmed, then we're going to assume probable cases for everybody else in the home. Yeah, that's called an epidemiological link, and they absolutely have the authority to do that. Ugh. It may differ from county to county, but I know that it's happened at least in two instances that I've been involved in where I've investigated. So, yeah, that's going on. So those are probable cases. The other thing that's going on are these false positives. I mean, you don't have to look very far. Our governor had one. The NFL just released how many, Bob, how many of those players tested positive that, that, that once they got retested were negative? Do you remember that number? Was it? I mean, it was a, it was a pretty significant number. Uh, that came out. I don't. Know I don't. Re- I don't remember the number. No, it was it was a significant number, but they were all incorrect. And by the way, if you go from one to two or one to one point two, you don't need very many false positives. And so, what we're hearing from the state is, well, we don't use antigen tests as much anymore because those are more inaccurate. Well, you know what they are using? They're using PCR tests, and PCR tests are so sensitive um, that they can actually pick up fragmentation uh, that can show something that I had 12 weeks ago. I may have been asymptomatic. I may not have been spreading it. It may be in my system. And 12 weeks ago, I had it, right? And now I don't. But these PCR tests... But they're counting as a new test. Yep. Or new, I mean, so, I'm sorry, a new positive or a new... A, a, a new positive. A, a new case. Yeah. yeah. So, by the way, quietly, I don't know if you're aware of this, on Monday, the CDC came out and they reversed their position I'm going to tell you my thought on it. I'm not a doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist, and I'm certainly not uh, an infectious disease expert. But the CDC came out Monday, and quietly they said, um, look, asymptomatic people really shouldn't be tested anymore. There's no need to do that. My guess is because of all of the issues with antigen tests or the sensitivity of the PCR tests and all of these false positives that we're running around spending a lot of time, energy, and money on testing, thinking that it's going to alleviate or eradicate the spread of the virus, which it won't, mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the real issues involved with the virus. Jack Windsor doing some great work. What Can you give us a preview of Part 4, and when does it come out? Uh, part 4 uh, should come out tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I actually may go out of order. I might dive in a little bit on uh, the increase in uh, health, health visits for COVID-related illnesses. That's uh-huh. a huge thing. It's, it's not even COVID. It's COVID-related. If I have two symptoms that are akin to COVID, then I can actually be counted by the county as somebody who has received treatment for COVID-like illness. See, Jack, like this is what terrifies me about September, October, November, December yep. because of the flu season. And we all know that the flu symptoms are virtually identical to COVID symptoms. If somebody goes in with a with a respiratory, you know, shortness of breath type thing, or they go in with a fever, they go in with, a, you know, all of these same things, the cough that, that manifest themselves with COVID, they go in there with the flu, hey, it's a COVID-like symptom. They're going to count every flu as a new positive COVID test or at least they absolutely uh, are. 
Yeah, and, and then that then that case number explodes, and what do we do? We slam the doors on the businesses and the schools again. This is what is ticking me off, and we need to expose that. So I hope you do go out of order, and I hope you do. I hope you uh, uh, get that published tomorrow. And we need to get this in front of as many eyes as possible, and in our case, uh, into as many ears as possible. Jack Windsor, great stuff. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate all the work you do. Thank you, Bob. God bless you. Have a great day. All right, that's Jack Windsor. That's so very important what he is talking about. That last part about what they're going to do if somebody presents for a health um, appointment with COVID-like symptoms, even if it's not COVID, but it's a symptom that is associated with COVID. Maybe you've got a fever. You don't actually have COVID. you got a fever for another reason. Maybe you've got a cough that has nothing to do with COVID, but it's coughing is associated with COVID, so they're going to mark you as a positive case, even without a test. It's criminal what is being done to our city and our, excuse me, to our state. And I know this is going to happen elsewhere as well. But for our case, maybe that's why the impeachment of Mike DeWine is called for here. We'll be right back. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side. And then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority. On AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we roll onward at 1038 now. Thanks for being with us. Thanks again to Jack Windsor with great information on what's going on in the state of Ohio. We spoke on impeachment of Mike DeWine. We spoke on the Partners in Health organization that DeWine is partnering with uh, to track you. um, In the state of Ohio, if it is thought that you may have been in contact with somebody uh, with COVID-19. And then, of course, we talked about phase three, or excuse me, part three of his series, his eight-part series on the Ohio Public Health Advisory System. I want to get back to the uh, calls, and I want to also get back to the RNC. Night number two was spectacular. I shared a lot of audio with you already, but I want to give you more, including the, this is fantastic. Uh, I want to share with you just a uh, portion of Nick Sandman's speech yesterday at the RNC. And I want to share it while sharing this at the same time. This was a tweet from someone. I don't know who it was. It doesn't matter to me, but somebody shared it on my Facebook page. It said this, you may be cool, but you'll never be Nick Sandman on CNN bashing CNN while being paid by CNN. Cool. Hashtag RNC, hashtag RNC2020. That is priceless because it's true. Nick Sandman was on CNN and every other network bashing CNN while being paid by CNN for their defamation of his character. What I thought was a strange encounter quickly developed into a major news story complete with video footage. My life changed forever in that one moment. The full war machine of the mainstream media revved up into attack mode. They did so without researching the full video of the incident, without ever investigating Mr. Phillips' motives, or without ever asking me for my side of the story. And do you know why? Because the truth was not important. Advancing their anti-Christian, anti-conservative, anti-Donald Trump narrative was all that mattered. And if advancing their narrative ruined the reputation and future of a teenager from Covington, Kentucky, well, so be it. That would teach him not to wear a mega hat. I learned what was happening to me had a name. It was called being canceled, as in annulled, as in revoked, as in made void. 
Canceled is what's happening to people around this country who refuse to be silenced by the far left. Many are being fired, humiliated, or even threatened. And often, the media is a willing participant. But I would not be canceled. I fought back hard to expose the media for what they did to me, and I won a personal victory. While much more must be done, I look forward to the day that the media returns to providing balanced, responsible, and accountable news coverage. I know President Trump hopes for that, too. And I know you'll agree with me when we say that no one in this country has been a victim of unfair media coverage more than President Donald Trump. In November, I believe this country must unite around a president who calls the media out and refuses to allow them to create a narrative instead of reporting the facts. I believe we must join a president who will challenge the media to return to objective journalism. What uh, Nick Sandman did at the end of his speech was even better. He dramatic had a dramatic pause after his close, and then he reached down, picked up, and put on that same red MAGA Make America Great Again cap that he was wearing when he was confronted and uh, tried to be intimidated on that day in Washington, D.C., in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Savage move by the young man. Okay, back to the phones. We'll go to um, Jan on AM 1420, The Answer, next. Hi, Jan, go ahead. Oh, hi. Oh, uh, the little man is really enjoying his uh, ride on the high horse. Uh, I'm talking about Mike DeWine. But, uh, you know, this COVID, what what bothers me all the time is they are not giving you percentages. They're, they're inaccurate. They're purposely lying. They're purposely scaring people. And uh, 42% of the people died in nursing homes. If if the nursing home person is sent to the hospital and dies there, then they're not counted. So we have uh, congregate settings is probably, uh, w- if you include the the uh, jails, that's probably like 50%. And as far as the way it spreads, it picks and chooses who it wants. And uh, I asked my doctor about it, and she said, well, she doesn't know what to think. A 40-something lady lives with her elderly parents, and she had it, took it home, kept living. They never got it. It's, it, it, it does exist, but there's so many lies, and where there's money involved, that uh, a contact tracing, that's going to be like our uh, EPA check, check your car every couple years that we had to pay for, and now we don't. But that's just a big farce, and I, I believe that's mm-hmm. only in Cuyahoga County. Where there's money involved, there is fraud and abuse and lies, and that's what's happening. Well, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, Jan, you're 100% right about that. And I want to address one other thing you said. Thanks so much for the phone call. When you talk about um, you know, the, the 40-something-year-old lady living with uh, two elderly parents, uh, and they just live their lives, and neither of the elderly parents got it, good. God bless them. But the reality is that is the most vulnerable population. They do need to be, you know, accounted for and they should be cared for and steps should be taken to make sure that they are not being exposed to people who may be around other people who have the virus because it is contagious. 
The reality is it's highly contagious. It's just not highly deadly. And you might say, oh, what do you mean? There's 173,000 people who have, been di- you know, di- who have uh, died from COVID. First of all, that's not true. We don't know how many of them died, them died from COVID versus with COVID. Uh, and second of all, do people realize that there are more people who have died from COVID or with COVID over the age of 80 than there are under the age of 60? Now, I want you to think about those numbers. I want you to think about 330 million people in America. How many of them are under the age of 60? An extraordinary amount of them. How many of them are over the age of 80? A pretty small amount of them. This is killing the elderly first. And and, and almost, I don't want to say almost exclusively, but I'll say almost exclusively. Elderly with uh, compromised systems, health systems, comorbidities, if you will. And so for that reason, I would just simply say, if you do have somebody in that age range, do everything you can to protect them. Don't shut down the rest of the world. Don't shut down the rest of your life, but do what you can to protect them. Stay, I mean, be hyper vigilant about being six feet away from them. Be hyper vigilant about being clean and sanitizing surfaces and so on and so forth. If you are visiting them, you know, refrain from the hugs and the kisses and the things that might ordinarily happen if you're visiting your elderly uh, relatives or loved ones. That's the only thing I would say in response. We have to be responsible because that is who the vast majority of people dying of this disease are, or of this virus are. Uh, Cleveland. I'm sorry, not Cleveland. Cleveland Heights, rather. And Judy on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Judy. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. You know, um, about a month or so ago, I um, um, sent a my chart message to my doctor, uh, who's at Cleveland Clinic, asking him if I could have an antigen test because I was sick like about the middle of March for about a week or so. And now that, you know, they kept increasing the symptoms, and I thought, you know, I might have had this. Maybe I had this. Maybe I got antibodies, and I'm okay now. Well, he wrote back, and he said that the Cleveland Clinic is not testing for antibodies because they have had too many false negatives and false positives in that test. Well, um, there have been, according to what I have read. Yeah, there it, have it, been. Yeah, it's there that antigen been. test. And it's that antigen test that Governor DeWine yes. took when he tested positive when President Trump was in town. So if the Cleveland Clinic is not using that test because of this, why are why are we still testing people with that test? Yeah, that's a it's very fair question. I wouldn't trust it. If you get a positive, you're just going to have to no, go take the regular I test trust anyway. It at all. Well, what and I mean you're is talking about those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say I'm, I'm with you. I wouldn't trust it either. And if you do take it uh, and you get a positive, what are you going to do? You're going to say, hey, these are often false positives. Now I have to go take a regular one, you know, whatever the other kind is called as well. So, um, yeah, it's very, very frustrating to know that they're using tests that they know and have admitted are ir- unreliable at best. And then yet they are establishing policy based on the results of many of those unreliable tests. Right. And uh, uh, you were talking about the... Uh what were they? Those 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 athletes was that basketball, baseball that they tested negative, positive, and then were all negative. That was yeah, yeah. That was the people. NFL. Yeah, that was the NFL. Right. Seventy-seven people were were wrong. Right. 
including the Browns, including the Browns head coach. Yeah. And they all had to shut down quickly. Yeah. And then they found out, oh, okay, that wasn't accurate. Then what is the purpose of them? I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. What is the purpose? Did you, and then the, you know, that also is screwing up all these numbers that we're getting. Yes. With yes. so many, we have so many new cases of this. There's so many new cases of that. Of course they would be testing for antigens. So, but it's still, that's, what, that's, they, that's why I believe they use. Yeah, that, yeah, that's why I believe, Judy, and, I, and I've got to run here. I thank you so much for the call and the great points you're making with respect to those antigen tests. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I am to the point where I have, I'm, of course, not ignoring or uh, expressing a belief that the virus doesn't exist. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that it's, um, it's growth in infectiousness that we are being told has been happening I think is greatly exaggerated, and that's probably an awkward way of saying it. I don't believe the numbers they're giving us because of the number of tests that are indeed false positives and because of the number of new cases, as Jack Windsor told us, that they are declaring as new cases without positive tests at all. They are using them as probables and counting them as positives. Using contact tracing, oh, you were within six feet of this person who we found did have it, and you were within six feet for more than 15 minutes, so it's very likely that you have it, and you're just asymptomatic. So check, positive test. And they're using those and putting counties from yellow and into red. And just a whisper away from being red into purple based on assumptions, based on either false positive tests, as Judy just said, or on assumptions of positivity because of contact tracing or because of family matters. I mean, that's just impossible to understand, and it's impossible to justify. And then to make school opening or closing decisions, sports having seasons or not having decisions, businesses being allowed to open or stay shut, or limited capacity or limited hours. All of these decisions are being made on faulty, flawed information. I am not a denier. I am not a denier of the Wuhan coronavirus. I believe it's there. But I do not believe it is anywhere near as deadly or as threatening as the government wants you to believe. More of your phone calls in the last segment coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Final segment at 10.54. A little rundown real quick before I go back to the last couple of phone calls that we're going to be able to squeeze in today. Uh, rundown of the RNC, night number three. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Uh, I, may have, I may have deleted the... Uh, or close the window. Sorry about that. But I'd like to give you a little rundown on who the speakers are going to be in in uh, each night. And, uh, and by the way, speaking of which, I told you yesterday that Abby Johnson was going to be one of the speakers. And she did phenomenally well. She told the story of how she went from Planned Parenthood clinical director to anti-abortion uh, pro-life advocate and the incredible work she's doing helping other abortion workers transition from that life of of disgusting, vile murder, essentially, of innocent life 
into pro-life advocacy, and she was phenomenal. I apologize for not getting any of her speech in today. It's just hard to get all of them in. I do have it here. Wednesday speakers include, and today they will. the theme will be Land of Heroes. Today's speakers will include the Vice President. Mike Pence will speak in uh, Baltimore, from Baltimore, rather, at Fort McHenry. Uh, Second Lady Karen Pence will also speak. Also, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn on the schedule. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. South Dakota Governor Christy Noem, who's a rising star. Uh, Texas Representative Dan Crenshaw, also a rising star, and Madison Cawthorn. She is a 25-year-old political newcomer who won a Republican primary runoff in North North Carolina for a congressional seat vacated by uh, Mark Meadows, President Trump's new chief of staff. So they are all on the docket for tonight. Navy man Norm is in Strongsville. You're on AM 1420. The answer, Norm, go right ahead. You heard the old adage, figures don't lie, but liars do figure. And that basically sums up the entire COVID uh, ID farce but i wanted to talk about something more important to a lot of us why hasn't cleveland cppa and jeff fulmer endorsed president trump for the first time in 51 years the cppa refused to endorse somebody for the presidency and i think it's a sham i think i see in action jackson uh hand and the chief of police hands in this and the next time you get Mr. Fulmer on the show, Bob, you might want to ask him, why didn't the CPPA endorse President Trump? Well, um, you're right, uh, and it is reprehensible and disgusting that he is too spineless to hold that vote. He doesn't want to hold that vote. It is up to Jeff Fulmer, and that's why they're not going to back either presidential candidate. It's disgusting in a time when when some police unions that have never actually gotten themselves involved in political races like this and issued endorsements felt so important this year to do so because of the cancellation, the cancel culture of police departments, defunding, abolishing, etc., and they are indeed saying, President Trump, please help us. We need your support, and the community needs your support. And uh, Jeff Fulmer is not one of them. He is too politically afraid, or rather, too afraid of politics and of any backlash whatsoever to hold that vote. And that's why I wish Steve Loomis was still the president of the union. Anything else, Norm? Yeah, just uh, I just want to echo your, uh, or second your uh, comment about Steve Loomis. I think he was one of the best presidents the CPPA ever had. But one more thing, Bob, and I'm trying to put this out to all these wonderful self-promoting politicians. If you do not support our police today, there may not be a police department to support tomorrow. Because what's going on in our country is right from the playbook of communism. They control the news media. They want to destroy the history and the legacy of our history. They want to create chaos in the streets, exactly what Mr. Alvarez said. And the American people better wake up and come November 3rd, vote for President Trump, or we're finished. Very well said. And I'm going to do my level best, Norm, thanks for the call, to try to get Jeff Fulmer on the air to see if he will explain to us why he refused to allow that vote for the CPPA endorsement uh, of the president. Uh, Mike is in Maryland. Mike, you are on AM 1420, The Answer, obviously listening online. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Thanks for having me on today. Yes, sir. I uh, want to chat with you about Joe Biden. I have an experience with him. I've written a book about him. I was his stenographer in the White House for six years. I worked in the White House from 2002 for the Bush administration through to about 2007. And then I went back to the White House in 2009 and worked for uh, Vice President Biden 2011 through 2017 when he left in January. 
And then I worked for a year for Trump. So I'm not a political guy. Uh, I'm not a political appointee, but I was a, a neutral observer. And I wrote a book. I just published it. Joe Biden unauthorized and the 2020 crack of, of the Democrats. Mike, Party. Mike, I'm going to have to ask you to do me a favor because I'm 10 seconds away from the end of the show. Call me back tomorrow earlier in the hour, earlier in the show, so that I can hear you uh, tell us about your book and your experiences with Joe Biden. Uh, for everybody else, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. We'll talk to you tomorrow as we'll recap night three of the RNC. Have a great and safe day. Bye-bye.